The following programme is made possible by the friends and partners of Creation Today. As a child, I remember riding in the backseat of a car on the way to a violin lesson when I asked a question to the passenger, a fellow violin student who was sitting right in front of me. As he sat next to the driver and we cruised down the road, I said these words. Hey, what's all that white stuff in your hair? I had no idea what dandruff was, and I had no clue that my question was, well, somewhat insensitive. I was just curious. Why? Well, because kids, they ask the toughest questions. Welcome to the Creation Today Show, where we bring together interviews with experts and solid Bible teaching. Your host, Eric Hovind, affirms the ultimate authority of God's Word, the truth of creation, and why it matters to you. Hey, if you're joining me on Facebook or YouTube, I would love to know some of the questions you asked as a child. Put them in, a put them in the comments so we can all ponder them together, maybe laugh a little bit. And by commenting, you're actually going to be eligible for today's giveaway. It is book one of the Answers Book for Kids series. This is a fantastic series answering kids' questions about the Bible, science, uh, and, um, uh, and God and uh, Christ. We want to say thank you, by the way, to Master Books for making this uh, giveaway possible. Creation Today actually carries hundreds of Master Books resources. We love Master Books, and we carry a lot of their resources on the Creation Today website, and we are so thankful for all that they do to help impact eternity through their work. Hey, shout out to all of my partners on here. Thank you guys uh, for making shows like this possible. It really is a privilege to use our mortal lives with you to impact eternity. By the way, uh, a few weeks ago, we gave away a book on fossils as I was at the Institute for Creation Research and did a show with Frank Sherwin. And uh, Bill won our free giveaway and he sent us a really encouraging thank you note. Bill, I just want to say thank you for the thank you. It really did mean a lot to our team. We sure do appreciate your encouragement. And uh, said it is beautiful and well-written and the autograph was a nice touch as well, along with some other notes on there. So Bill, thank you for that. Hey, if you're new to the Creation Today show, we are on a mission to disciple the world one person at a time. We just want to turn stumbling blocks that keep people from coming to Christ and turn them into stepping stones so they can see Jesus as their creator and as the redeemer of mankind. Today's topic is going to be fun, and like all of our shows, it's designed to help you be all that you can be for the glory of God. So if you have comments or questions, please throw them in the chat, and we'll try to get to those. My guest today is no stranger to the show. Pastor Chad is the pastor of Horizon Community Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. He is a favorite in our film Genesis, Paradise Lost, and is the author of several books and about... Um, I don't know, somewhere around a million of sermons that you can access via their website or their app, Horizon Community Church. They are always fantastic. And if you get a chance, you have to go check out his current sermon series on Philippians, a Christmas poem. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome my friend, my guest, and my cousin, Chad Hoven. Chad, welcome to the show, bud. Hey, thanks for having me. I hope you're not going to ask me about the uh, the dandruff question. That'd be a tough one to answer right there. <laughs> Hey, I'm I'm sure I asked several questions of you while you were uh, while you were uh, while we visited you up in Illinois. And by the way, uh, my son just ordered something two days ago, and it came in 
on Amazon. And as he surprised me with this, it's his, right. not mine. It brought me to memories of yesteryear with my cousin, Chad. And I just want to try to demonstrate it here. I don't know that I'll All be right. as good as cousin Chad, but I'm going to try to demonstrate. Here's what he got. Ready? 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 I'm Oh, how's that, oh. man? Did, did it? Yeah, I don't know if it was yeah. fast I enough, actually, but how I is that? One those, That's I rebought one of those a couple of years ago because I was we were doing a family service and I was bringing some magic back. So I, I have one that's got a fire torch and I can spin the fire torch around. It suddenly appears into that cane. So funny that story. Is... When I was a uh, my senior prom, I had that because I was doing magic at the time. So I uh, went uh, with two friends of mine. So I wasn't dating either one of them. I didn't have a date. So my two friends came and. So we actually went to prom together my my junior year, and I actually had the expandable cane I could make appear right in the middle. So I was a junior. I had two girlfriends, friends who were girls that were freshmen and uh, in college at the time. So I looked like, you know, like ZZ Top, every girl's crazy about a sharp, gross man. I had my uh, cane. It was very fun. So good yes, to it's you. good to yes, see that. Yes, yes, <laughs> I love it. Well, I still remember you doing magic tricks when I was growing up, and uh, you're a couple of years yeah. older, about a decade older than me. And so, man, I just... Looking up to you and just being in awe of these magic tricks. I just, <laughs> I absolutely loved that. Uh, hey, more than your magic, though, uh, I have really enjoyed. I just, I love your teachings. Uh, you are an incredible communicator and a fantastic uh, pastor to help lead us into the deep things of the Word of God. And you recently actually just did a series at your church that made me want to have this conversation with you. And it's based sure. on this idea that kids do ask some of the really, really hard questions and uh, so I thought we'd just start with uh, one of the first ones that I think is really, really hard. You you uh, do what you can with this. And uh, Chad, are we there yet? Uh, That's the number yeah, one question. Well, the, I answer know, is time, the, time is, the, the answer is it's time for the quiet game. It's always the answer to that. It's time for the quiet game. Quiet game. <laughs> We're going to play the... Did your dad do that? Yet? I mean, I remember doing that. That's so funny that the oh, things yeah. you play with kids. Question number well, two is a little bit. We had to wear, you know, back then, I didn't, you didn't have to wear seatbelts. So I always remember, you know, it was like you could fit three people in the front of the car, three people in the back of the Oldsmobile. And I was often stuffed in the back window. I was like laying in the window the whole time. So that was that like. That was my favorite travel. spot. Yeah, that's exactly I, right. That's exactly over the back right. yeah. window. That was, that was pure awesome. Every car that seated six people really had a seventh spot up there. So, yeah, very <laughs> funny. <laughs> Question two is a little bit deeper. It's actually, it came in many, many times, about a thousand times. And that's just because we only had a thousand people respond. Chad, why, 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 how come, why, 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 and why? So if you can get that one out of the way, parents will Look, be really, really happy with you. Why, uh, why ask why? Um, <laughs> yeah. I do think kids are naturally really inquisitive. And I do think as parents, we get pretty impatient because we got our own agenda. And I think, you know, parents who really are trying to do the right thing, and there's certainly a time where you say, listen, I can only go so far into this. But I think as parents, we do our kids a service well when we take a moment to explain why something is wrong. A lot of times we'll say, you know, don't disrespect me, for example. And we don't explain, here's what you did that was disrespectful. Oh, here's what it would look like to be respectful. And when kids ask questions, I think part of respecting them is honoring the inquisitiveness of what they're asking. I think for many of us, our unanswered questions as adults began because we still have unanswered questions as kids. And so a lot of times you'll be dialoguing with somebody who's a skeptic or curious. And honestly, they just have never engaged with a intelligent Christian who took the time and respected their question enough without labeling them, without uh, judging them to say, you know, that's a great question. Let's get to why. Why? Why does God exist? And and why do we know that the Bible's true? And why do we know Jesus is not just a way to God, but the way to God? And and why does that make you more 
tolerant toward people, even though it seems intolerant as an exclusive truth. So I think the more we can answer those questions, the more we're actually going to prepare our kids to understand their faith, not just be dad's faith, but it's my faith because they wrestled with it. And I think that is the big issue. I see, I talk to kids all the time in schools and in churches, youth groups, and the the number one I see is kids having their parents' faith still instead of making it their own, instead of deciding, I want these answers. They just, they've got mom and dad's answers and they never really make it their own. Um, by the way, parents, I love Chad's advice there to you. That's one of the things that I try, I've tried to implement, my wife and I have tried to implement. When they ask why or when I tell them to do something, I tell them, it is okay to question me. I just want to know that you're willing to obey first. So the first thing I want you to do is say yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. You know, say yes, ma'am to your mom and then say, can I ask you why? And just show that respect. So that's one of the little principles that we did that uh, sometimes yeah, it got out of hand because, man, they were at, everything was why. But sure, it sure. uh, definitely was good. Well, we do have some uh, video questions. These are actually from uh, from students at, uh, the, at the part of the the series that you did. And I, and I love these so much. So I've selected some that I think were really good. Kent has those and he'll play those one at a time for us. And I just want us to walk through some of these. And if you guys have questions, throw them in the chat, or if your kids have questions, throw them in the chat and we'll try to see how many of those we can get to as well during our time together. Kent, play question number one for us. I'd like to know how Jesus hears every prayer. Well, that's a good question. You ever wondered that as a kid? How does Jesus hear every prayer all i think of now unfortunately because i've been hollywoodized is jim carrey what was that movie he did where he's uh heaven almighty no, heaven almighty yes yes bruce almighty bruce almighty the first one bruce yeah, almighty, yeah. So he's, he's <laughs> ringed all, the... all the yes to all that's that's what i yeah. think of when i think of how did jesus so how, how do we wrestle with that when it comes to giving a a, a biblical a, a correct theological and yet relevant answer to kids yeah well, i think it starts with the nature of god so it's like, you know, it, it's hard to think about that question because I can only be at one place at one time and I'm stuck in the time box. Uh, imagine if at any time, almost like, imagine your whole life, you could press pause and you could leave it on pause inf infinitely. You know, God is outside of time. So any moment he can press pause and go do whatever he wants and then he can unpause it because he's outside of time and space. So that's one way he does it. The other way is, you know, God is far beyond us. He can, he's omnipresent. He can be all kinds of places at once. And he's all-knowing. So I think it really speaks to the nature of God. But I think we're so stuck in the time box. It would be like talking to you know, a movie you're watching and saying to the movie, the movie says, hey, how, how is, how is uh, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe you're watching uh, Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty looks and says, how is it you can move around in three-dimensional space? You know, I'm stuck on this two-dimensional space. So I think when we understand God is outside of time and space, suddenly he's got a lot more abilities that we can't even comprehend. We're, we're stuck in the, in the film strip, so to speak. That's a great point. And it's really, it's our, we just, as we grow up at some point, we need to learn that God is not limited like we are limited. And when we start realizing he is, his ways are above our ways, his thoughts are above our thoughts, he's outside, he's omnipresent, omnipotent. When you start realizing these things, that's when it helps us understand Oh, he can do things that we cannot do. That's yeah. good. Um, On the other hand, God, God, is, God is always limited by his own nature, meaning you know, God can only do what can be done. And so God can't make a square circle because circles aren't squares and squares aren't circles. So you know, God is limited by who he is. So God is always good. So God can't be evil. God always exists. He can't not exist. So even within uh, God being omnipotent, he's still limited by his own nature. And his nature is he's always good. He's always powerful. He's all-knowing. All and that gets into Jesus. Jesus gave up temporarily some of those things like omnipresence in order to become a man. Does it, does it bother you when, 
it bothers me now when I hear people say, God can do anything he wants to do. And it's like, well, I guess anything he wants to do. But when they say they leave it at God can do anything, I'm yeah. like, wow, I don't I don't think we're seeing him correctly. Because as you just said, there are things that he cannot yeah. do. And so does, it, does that bother you or do you just chalk that up as, oh, it's just not very deep theologically or how do you? Process yeah, well, I think sometimes, uh, yeah, I just kind of let some of that stuff go. Yeah, I do funerals. I got three funerals I'm doing this week, and the amount of bad theology that you hear in a funeral. I know so and so became a butterfly. I know so and so became an angel. And but you know, sometimes that's just people have not really thought through death and have not th- thought through through Christian perspective. And most people um, know just enough of the Bible to be dangerous. And and what you find out is when you actually learn the biblical approach to it, it's so much better. So, for example, the idea that God can do whatever He wants—it sounds very aspirational. But it's actually Hinduism, right? Because God is both good and bad. So God can do whatever he wants. The problem is he's the good side of the force and the dark side of the force. You know, it means God's going to kiss and a hug. He's also going to rape and a murder. It's really problematic. Instead, you know, mere Christianity and C.S. Lewis says that, you know, God is transcendent. He's outside of his creation. And so he is the ultimate definition of what can and cannot be done. And he is goodness. And so, no, God will never be evil. And so he is always motivated by love. And even when he does things that appear to be... Um, challenging in what we might do, tough love, you might describe it, or or he takes the life of someone. Well, the reason murder is wrong is because life belongs to God. God can take life because it belongs to him. When we take a life unjustly, it's wrong because we don't own that life, be it our own with suicide or be it someone else's, unless we have a just cause, which again appeals to who God is as a source of justice. Can you see why Pastor Chad is one of our favorites, guys? Oh my goodness, just <laughs> that thought that many of us have adopted a Hinduistic view of God try to oh that's that's beautiful wow okay um hey we got another one here that i think is is really good and by the way if you have a question you want to insert in here feel free to uh, throw it in the chat i'm sorry i'll try to keep my eyes on the chat but uh throw it in the chat and uh and let us know we'll try to interject it in here but kent question number two why do we like believe in the bible um how do we know that everything is true from the bible so that's some that I'm I've been brought up with and I think a lot of people are brought up with that idea inside a church with a can I call it a blind faith that might be the best way to describe it like I was just told I was just told to trust it and so I trust it and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of background behind that and therefore you and I know lots of skeptics who have who have said well that's what I was taught and I don't believe that anymore but how do you how do you go into that with a with a child well, so I'll start with it. as a Christian. Yeah, I believe the Bible's true. I believe God wrote it. I believe this is God's in- inherent word. So that's what I believe. I also also believe uh, the Bible tells us things that are true, meaning yeah, God is good, and the Bible told us that. But you know, Romans says that general revelation, the things, the attributes of God are true. You can learn some of it from creation. Right? It's called general revelation, and so then the Bible comes and clarifies that. So I would say you can, um, if you elevate faith above the object of the faith, you're in a problem. Because that's like, well, as long as you believe, I believe in the Bible, therefore it's true. Well, does that mean somebody who believes in the Quran is true? Somebody who believes that that their, their uh, squash is God is true. If you elevate belief above the object of belief, you got a real problem. Because obviously your faith is only as strong as what you put it in. I don't know if you remember uh, when we were at grandma's house uh, growing up, she'd always have these ridiculous uh, Christmases where she'd yes. basically buy a bunch of junk and give it to us. But often the lake outside her house would get frozen. And so we'd go out down the lake. We took the three-wheelers out there. Well, I can have all the faith I want in Grandma's lake holding me, but if it's thin ice, I'm falling through. You can have a little bit of faith in thick ice, and you're fine. You can have a lot of faith in thin ice, and you're going to get wet. 
So we don't want to elevate faith, as important as it is, higher than the object of the faith. So let's say, yeah. how do we know the Bible's true? Well, how do you know anything's true? Well, number one, it has to be something that's uh, logical. Well, what's logic? It means it's consistent. It, it corresponds to reality. So when we describe human nature, for example, somebody might tell you, people are basically good. And you're like, that doesn't seem to correspond to reality because uh, my brother hit me, I hit my brother, my neighbor gossips about me. And so the Bible describes things that are logical. They don't have incoherent answers or they're not uh, mutually exclusive. So the Bible, if you think about this, it's written from 1500 BC all the way to, you know, say 100 AD, not quite that. And you have this consistent theme and you have what's called the law of non-contradictions. It says stuff that's consistently true and it doesn't contradict itself. And even the couple passages look like contradictions, you kind of explain the difference between two different perspectives. So I say the Bible is true, number one, because it, it um, is logical. It's not contradictory. It makes claims that are consistent with reality. And three, besides its own inherent claims that are consistent, you can check stuff out. Like, for example, if I make claims to say, hey, I live in Cincinnati and I drove, you know, four and a half hours to get to Peoria, Illinois, where my parents are from. You can say, well, that's something Chad said. Let's check on a map. Is there a place called Cincinnati? Is there a place called Peoria? Is there four and a half hours? There's what's called external evidence. And so the Bible makes all kinds of claims and you can check it out. You can say there was a Jerusalem. There was this. This happened. You can talk to people within the Bible. Then you can talk to people outside the Bible who, who go at it. In fact, it's interesting. The Bible is like the gold standard or the platinum standard because most people did. You had to be really, really rich to have a biography written about you. I mean, only the wealthiest of wealthy is hired a scribe to write that. Jesus is relatively poor, a relatively unknown person living in Jerusalem for three years of ministry. And we don't have one. We only have two. We only have three. We have four biographies written about a guy who wasn't rich, didn't pay to have that done. So it is the platinum standard of archaeological evidence and manuscript evidence of a document. If any document is true and historically reliable, it's the Bible. Nothing else compares on those tests. You know, I, I, I think of all the different pieces that come together. When I, when I hear evolutionists try to present evidence for evolution, they're like, oh my goodness, we've got geology. They just start naming the fields of science is really all they do. They don't go into much into the details. We've got geology. We've got archaeology. We've got... When it comes to the scriptures, that's what we have. We have geology, archaeology, the inter, the, the, the miracles, the, the 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 prophecies. There is so much that goes into how do we know the Bible's true. And if you were brought up just being told that it's true and never really researching the fact that it really is true, man, you ought to go on a study about this. By the way, hey, ladies, um, can you find that uh, Bean video? It's, I think it's arkencounter.orders.com slash Bean. Find that and throw that in the chat. Tim Chapey does an incredible job of showing these works uh, of literature that we hold as true. Um, Shakespeare's stuff and uh, Plato's writings. And he, he goes through and shows and has a Bean represent, I forget how many of each of, his, of each of the writings that we have, and then shows how much manuscript evidence we have for the word of God. And oh man, it is, it is a powerful look at what God has done and how he has preserved his word. So, and so uh, they like I, to say, if a child asks you like, how do I believe in the Bible? You kind of back up. You say, how do we know anything's true? Like, how do we know anything's true? And so, yeah, how would you know George Washington really lived? How would you know Abraham Lincoln lives? So you almost have to start with what are the tests for any document? And then let me show you how the Bible lines up to that. The time between when it was written and the manuscripts we have, the number of manuscripts we have, the archaeological evidence that supports it, the claims it makes. I mean, like, 
Uh, I told a story last week at church about the guy who invented chloroform. He was reading in Genesis um, about the fact that when God was making Eve, he first put Adam to sleep. And it struck him as a doctor, like they're sawing up people's legs and arms you know, after, after the wars. And he's like, when God did surgery, he put people to sleep. And so that idea inspired him to come up with what we know as chloroform. But even there, there's a little piece, like how would somebody in the Old Testament know that the human body, the one part of our body that you can remove, if removed properly, a human rib, will regrow itself? Like the, the only something supernatural beyond the culture would know that, that God removed the one part of the human body that grows back. So it's just all kinds of things in the details, in the transcendence, in the archaeological input, in the, in the claims it makes that validate that the Bible is true. It has truly created something that you can study for a lifetime. God has created something you can study for a lifetime and never exhaust. Uh, and so, man, this, this as Christians, Chad, is that, I know this is what you do for your church. You try to encourage people to be students of the Word of God for their whole life. You're always bringing interesting, uh, seemingly unknown stuff. I don't know how you come up with this stuff that I've never heard before. I didn't know that story. I'd never heard that illustration or and, and showing how, man, it really is inexhaustible. You can keep diving deeper and deeper and deeper. That's uh, amazing how you do that. But that's kind of your your push, right? You don't just want to spoon feed people. You want people to get that meat for themselves, right? Yeah, without a doubt. You know, the Bible says it's a living document, right? And so that's kind of how you know the difference between being, I'm a Christian versus I'm a religious person who calls myself a Christian. I'm not saying it's every time, but in some sense, you have a sense of the book speaking back to you. There's someone in there talking to you. And people describe it in different ways, but like, hey, that verse jumped out of me, yeah. or I felt like that was in bold print, even though I read it a hundred times, or I felt like that was really speaking to my situation. So I think that's how you know you're a Christian, is the Holy Spirit's in you, and he begins to illuminate the text. He begins to bring it to mind. If there's someone in there chatting with you, it's a very personal process. It also, it's this, it's almost like science. Every time you learn something in science, you learn one thing, and it opens up six more mysteries. Yeah. And the Bible's the same way. You learn something about God, and you're like, well, that's true. The one about this and this and this is just a constant moving toward the horizon, new horizons open, move toward that horizon, more horizons open. That's that's the nature of truth and, and endeavor into truth. I was trying to find just a second ago, I came across a comment. I think it was on YouTube this morning as I was looking through our comments on our channel. And that was the guy's question, though. How, how can you believe this book that was just written? Everything is written by man. How can you believe this book that's just written by man? When you encounter it, kind of the same question, how can we believe the Bible is true from that perspective? How do you answer that? How do you, it's, everything's written by man. How do you, how do you go about that? Yeah, well, I would again say, if this was written not by man, it was written by someone beyond man, that person would have to be able to see beyond time and space, for example. And so, yeah, just look at the claims for Jesus as Messiah. I mean, we have copies of Dead Sea Scrolls that we know without a doubt. I've been to Qumran caves. I've been there. I've seen the, the copies of it. We have things we know are 300, 400, 500 years before Christ. And they give very specific things about some things he could control, right? He, he needs to, you know, um, act a certain way, but he needs to be born a certain way. He needs to be born a certain place. And even in the Old Testament, they're like, there's no way this stuff could happen. You can't be, you know, from the Naphtali and from Galilee. You can't have escaped from Egypt you know, at the same time you were you were called a Nazarene. So you have all these very specific predictions. And it's not like a fortune cookie. You know, you will have a nice day today. Very specific <laughs> locations, things you'll do, and then the way you'll die. Hundreds of years before the Romans even developed crucifixion, you're reading in the Psalms that he's going to be pierced, you know, and, and, and Isaiah and Zechariah pierced for our transgressions. And so the level of detail of Jesus' life, 
but his births and his death, that we have actual manuscript evidence for those predictions. And then we have actual manuscript evidence, not, these aren't beliefs, these are historic events. Yeah. And so when you have something predicted in history and fulfilled in history that no one could possibly in human form have proposed, have, have uh, prophesied or have predicted, just the, the probability of that is, is beyond human comprehension. And that's what the Bible does. Question number three, Kent, give it to us. I want to know what God did before he made earth. <laughs> yeah, Chad, what, what did God do before he made the earth? I mean, what was going on there? Well, you know what? He was the happiest being in the universe. And this is probably um, what makes the, the God of the Bible so unique. We hear the word Trinity and people tell you about how he's an egg and you know, shell and the white part, yellow part. But let me tell you why the Trinity matters. Long before God made anyone, he was the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which means he could love each other. The Father loved the Son. The Son loved the Father. He could celebrate with one another. He could have joy with one another. He could defer to one another. He could submit to one another. And so what happens is, if you talk about a monotheistic God, like Allah, let's say, Allah could not even express himself as God because who do you love if there's nobody around? Well, if you have a God that can't be God without creating something, then that God is dependent upon what it creates. Not so with the Trinity. With the Trinity, you had God who was the happiest being in the universe, loving each other, celebrating each other, enjoying each other's company. And God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit said, you know what, we can't keep this to ourselves. We've got to share this. Kind of like when you first get married, you're like, you know what, this is so great. We, we enjoy each other. We've got a great friendship. We're in love with each other. we got to spread this love out. And so you don't have kids to fill a void. You have kids to spread the joy. And so before God made heaven and earth, he was enjoying himself, earth. enjoying creation. And then he said, I, I got to share this or spread this. It's almost like, you know, if I had a piece of paper here and I drew a picture of, of a cartoon maybe, and I would say, listen, I'm in three-dimensional space, right? But this, this two-dimensional drawing, they can't imagine, they got an X-axis and a Y-axis, they can't imagine a Z-axis. They might say, well, what in the world did Chad do before he drew us? They have no idea. I've got a whole life going on here. Like This is such a small part of, of, of existence. And that's what God's like. God has got a whole life of joy going on, happiest being in the universe. He creates up as a focal point in time and says, now, I want to tell you, this life I have for you, I want you to experience life and life more abundant. And this life is just a sliver of time compared to all of eternity. I want you to be with me for eternity. So what did God do? He expressed everything he is and everything he would be. His love, his joy, his peace and eternity. And he invites us to be part of it. I think another element of this is the very concept of time. When you, when you, our brain, I don't know if you have a way of imagining this or thinking about this, but we cannot really truly fathom and comprehend eternity. And so when we ask the question, what did God do? It's almost like we're putting God inside of time. Like he got tired. He's just sitting there twiddling his thumbs all day. And it's like, right. wait, wait, that assumes a timeline and, mm -hmm. and our minds can't even fathom outside of time. And God was, God actually created time itself. It says in yep. the beginning. I mean, so God actually created right. time. So yeah. what did God do before he made? Yes, he was complete in and of himself. And he made us to spread the love and for his glory. And, and wow, he actually created time. And so I don't know at what age a kid can understand this, but uh, the fact that God is outside of time. I don't, do you have yeah. any, any more insightful ways of, of talking about eternity than well, the normal ones that I've heard ring yeah, and all these what, things? 
I kind of come in from the felt need. So like usually we feel time as a predator, right? I never have enough time to do anything. We always feel the negative side of it. There's not enough time, there's not enough hours in a day to get everything done. So I kind of go the opposite way. See, imagine if you didn't have that predator. Imagine if today you have plenty of time to hang out with everybody you want to hang out with. You have time to do whatever you want to do. You have time to enjoy whatever you want to enjoy. So I can't imagine it, but boy, it sounds pretty nice. So I may not be able to picture it, but I can picture the opposite, which is the, the antithesis of what I have, which is this predator always breathing down my back. One way I've thought about it, it kind of my finite mind, is to think about, I, I joke with my kids for years, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do with several lifetimes in heaven. For one <laughs> lifetime, I'm going to build the ultimate roller coaster. It's 30-second wait, two-hour roller coaster. So two-hour wait for 30 seconds. I'm going to spend one of my lifetimes, I'd like to become one of those Japanese uh, chefs that can make the big uh, onions that, you know, shoot the smoke the out of. And I love that. So I've been planning out several lifetimes in eternity. <laughs> I think that's what I've thought about, which is what if I had unlimited time, I could pursue every dream I've ever had, every habit I've always wanted to chase down, every idea I've always wanted to master, uh, whether as an artist or as a musician or as a builder. And that's the beauty of the millennial kingdom. It's not that we go to heaven, right? It's that heaven comes to earth. So imagine everything you love about heaven and everything you love about earth is here without the, the, the problems, without the misunderstandings, without the tornadoes, without the hurricanes. It's the best of earth with all the bad stuff taken out. And now you have unlimited time to enjoy everything around us. So to me, that's pretty sweet. That does sound really, really good. You know, a lot of kids actually had questions about heaven and our next couple uh, actually have to do with heaven. So this is a perfect segue into the next question. Can't roll question number four. Is everything true about heaven? I've heard of like the streets are gold. <laughs> so as a kid, we do hear these things about heaven. It's something I'm still fascinated with right now. I'm going, okay, what's it really like? Okay, what's it really going to be like? How, 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 how am I supposed to comprehend and think about heaven? Chad? Yeah. I think the Bible does this amazing job. Of sometimes it describes stuff that it, you almost feel like you're watching somebody's wacky dream. You know, it's Ezekiel's... Uh, vision or Isaiah's vision of like these wheels spinning in all directions, these eyeballs, you're like, oh my goodness, whatever this thing, this is like the the best uh, scene from Lord of the Rings or the best scene <laughs> from the fantasy novel. And so sometimes it's engaging your fantasy to say, this is so far beyond uh, colors and schemes and things. God's presence is like the best of everything you've ever imagined and more. Other times it's like, all right, but it's also very concrete. Let me tell you what it's mostly like. It's like yeah. a, a wedding feast with all your friends and family. And so Revelation describes as a sitting down to dinner, everyone you've ever known and want to spend time with, eating the best food you've ever eaten and just enjoying each other's company. So that's a beautiful idea. Jesus says, you know what, I go to prepare a place for you. If it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you so. And he describes it as a place. And he uses the word batav, which is the father's place, the father's love. And so if you had a father that loved you well, and a family that loved you well, imagine the best of that, the perfection of that. If you didn't have that, you've always wanted it. Imagine having someone, when you come home, ask you about your day, wants to celebrate what you've done, isn't making it about himself. The ultimate love of the Father is what it is to be in his presence. Now, exactly what those houses look like and what those mansions look like, the Bible gives you all kinds of visions to just say it's beyond your imagination. You know, he's like a rainbow. You know, John, who was Jesus' best friend, knew him for three years at least in ministry, he sees Jesus in Revelation, and he's hung out with him for three years, but he's never hung out with him like this. To be in his presence, he falls over like a dead man. Oh, my goodness, I've never seen such power, such wonder. It's like a rainbow, he describes it. So I do think that there's both concrete examples. It's perfect love. 
its family, its friends, and Christianity is unique in that you have a real body in a real place with real people. So a lot of Christians, you know, I've got picked up Hinduism over the years or Greek dualism to think, well, my spirit goes to heaven. I'm a Casper the Friendly Ghost. I'm playing a boring uh, harp for 12 minutes, you know, 12 years or 12 decades versus imagine you are you. And that's Christianity, right? You are you. If, if you're not you, then a piece of you gets put into a plant, piece of you gets put into somebody else who died, piece of you gets put into this tree. What's so unique about Christianity is that you were made unique as an eternal being that's going to spend eternity somewhere. God wants you to spend eternity with him, and you will see not the memory of grandma, not the what grandma did in your life. You get to see grandma again without her Alzheimer's, wow. without her pain, without a replaced hip. I mean, imagine if we all get to fully bask in our bodies working the way they intended and to see everyone. And, and in some way, at the transfiguration, we get a sense that, you know, Jesus transfigures himself before his disciples, at least three of them, and there is Moses and Elijah there. And it always struck me that they didn't come with name tags, right? It was like, hey, look, it's Jesus and, and Moses and Elijah. And yet there's, well, they're, they're, they've got beards. It must be, you know, you know, all the people from the Bible have beards. There's something about the essence of Elijah and the essence of Moses that even three disciples who haven't they've been around for 400 years or 1,000 years, 1,500 years, they recognize them by wow. their essence. And so the idea that, that you will be recognized not by unimportant things like your outward appearance, although, you know, it's part of who we are, our body is, but that suddenly who you are, body, soul, and spirit is recognized innately by the people around you, and you're fully known and fully loved. To me, that's just a beautiful scene. And that is it's, that is the fascinating thing. I, I got to take a break here, but I want to go more into this because uh, kids have more questions about heaven, and we do as well. What is it going to be like? But I want to get more into that because that is fascinating to think about the reality that um, it, it, there's going to be a, like, we're going to have stuff there. I mean, we're going to eat. There's going to be a, a feasting. That's So I want to get more into that. If you got more questions about heaven that you want answered, come on over to creationtoday.org and partner with us. And you can join the rest of this conversation right now with Chad and I. Uh, but for those of you on our television program or our podcast, thank you guys for listening. For those of you on Facebook and YouTube, I want to thank you guys for joining us. Next week at noon, we've got a fantastic conversation. Top 10 excuses that God is going to absolutely reject. I hear excuses all the time for why somebody doesn't believe the Bible or doesn't live a life that's worthy of the calling that they're called to. Or We're going to go through some of the top 10 excuses and realize God's not going to accept any of these excuses. We are truly without an excuse. I hope you'll join me live next week. My winners uh, today for the ebook giveaway, uh, Children's Book 1, uh, winners are Amber and Gary. Amber W. and Gary G. are my winners Thank you guys for uh, making comments. I love this. This is fantastic. Uh, yeah, let's see here. Yeah, Gary's commenting. Uh, PK says, fascinating. Uh, exactly. This is good. Uh, so guys, thank you for joining me. I look forward to seeing you next week. Chad, I want to continue the conversation really about heaven. And this next question, ask a, another question about heaven.